0: morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you may be. My name is Alfredo and you are tuned in now to the Climate Frontline podcast. In this show, I have conversations, I interview leaders across movements, industries, as well as artists. And I really have these conversations to center the voices and uh, the lived experiences of those communities who are at the front line of climate change. And how we do this is really one conversation at a time. And so today I'm really excited to have a conversation with Sully. Sully, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Alfredo. thank you for having me here.
0: Yeah. Thank you for being here. Sully. It's nice to connect with uh, another EPOC member in the Seattle community. I know we had a chance to speak a little bit before the show and, uh, yeah, I have, uh, so many questions about your journey, but uh, let's start off maybe with uh, your favorite food or or
1: snack. Oh, good question. You know, I think my favorite food is plantains. Um, I'm from Panama and plantains are really common to have as a side dish um, and I like them both. So there's sweet plantains that come from the more ripe fruit and there's Plantains that come from the more green ones, um, and I just love all of them.
0: Okay, yeah, I I love plantains in the morning too. It's kind of yeah, it's really good. I I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, from Panama, would you mind sharing which city in Panama?
1: I come from Panama City. Um, it's capital of the country, and I think like about a third of the country's population lives there. It's the densest city in the country.
0: Okay. Okay. And where where is it that you're tun- you're tuning in from? Where are you right now?
1: So I live in Seattle, Washington.
0: Okay. Awesome. Yeah, well thank you so much for being in the show. I I think you're going to uh, provide a great perspective. I have uh, a number of colleagues who and, and friends who live in the Seattle area both from Uh, My time at Presidio Graduate School, as well as uh, some organizing work I did against doing campaigns for the investment of uh, private prisons. So uh, I'm excited to have them listen to our conversation. You know, Soli, uh, I know you're in in the environmental field uh, up there. And uh, for me and, and this show, one focus we have in this show is around language, because it really is an opportunity to bring people together or put them apart. It's the first weapon that's drawn in in conflict. And so I just wanted to know what what your experience is like with language and how is it that uh, it helps you understand what's going on in your work and in your area of expertise, as well as your living in in Seattle?
1: Yeah, that's a great conversation starter. I've been thinking about how for me I think I speak very fluently in the language of community I have this memory um, of after I got one of my many jobs one of my colleagues told me you know after we we were down to you and one other person in the interviews and the other person they just spoke more in technical language and it just, it just felt very white dominant. And you, you were more, you were saying the same things, but you were talking about how, about how community is affected by all of these issues. And I think that for me, keeping community at the center is really important. I think, you know, I've actually, I haven't only worked in the environmental field throughout my career. I've also worked um, homelessness. Um, Currently, I also work in healthcare. And I see that all of these issues are so interconnected. And really, for me, the way to best explain it is by talking about the ways that all of these issues impact community members. So yeah, I feel like that's at the core of what I try to do, not just talking about, you know. The technical aspects of the work but talking about the people and how community is impacted by by whether it's um, environmental hazards or health disparities bringing it back to the people helps me really explain why it's important to focus on these things
2: yeah
0: yeah thank you for sharing that i i also um uh, a number of audience members who uh have not been to Seattle. So for someone who may not know much about Seattle or the the greater metro area, could you just tell us a little bit about, you know, where, where are the, are, I know there's a bunch, it's, it's known for a lot of, you know, shipping that goes in and out. It's the, uh, the headquarters for Amazon, I believe. So could mm-hmm. you just, uh, paint the picture a little bit of who lives there and kind of uh, the lay of the land, if you will?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, back when I first came to Seattle in 2012, I came here, a um, job in the tech industry, and that was um, for about four years at the beginning of my career, that was the landscape that I was in. So, yes, I think, you know, I'm, um, I've am i been here almost 10 years and I consider it home, but I, I think that Seattle is a place um, of just um, many Transplants. There's so many people who come to Seattle from all over the country and all over the world, and I think that makes it a really unique area. Um, most of the people that you meet, they have a story of how they got there, and then of course there's the people, and then there's the people who have um, lived here for generations. And I often hear these people, you know, kind of saying like, "We were the originals. We knew Seattle way back when." But then I think about how um, all of these um, people who, even if they've been here for generations, their families came from somewhere else. And then as, like, as, as a separate group, we have um, the native people of Seattle. So we have um, the Duwamish and Coast Salish people who have been in Seattle since time immemorial. Yeah. And something that really, um, I went to an event at the Duwamish Longhouse a couple of years ago. And um, one of the I want to say um, Duwamish council members, Ken Workman, he said a quote that it's, I'm never going to forget it. He said, um, Seattle has changed a lot in the past 150 years. And that for me really put it in perspective that, um, yeah, the past 150 years is really um, all of the time when all of these, you know, different peoples have come into Seattle. And before that, it You know, but before that, there have been people who have been here for thousands of years. So any change that I can see in my lifetime is really very small compared to um, the changes that settler colonialism have brought to the area. But yes, aside from, you know, kind of being a land with a long native history and then um, a much shorter history of people coming from all over the place for opportunities, The other thing that I would say to describe Seattle is that I live in North Seattle in a neighborhood called Crown Hill. And back when I used to be able to take the bus to go to work, I worked in a neighborhood called Beacon Hill. And first I took the bus from from Crown Hill to downtown. And in that part of my commute, um, most of the other commuters were white collar workers and the majority were white. But then when I took my bus from downtown to Beacon Hill, I saw a completely different face of the community. In the bus from downtown to Beacon Hill, I saw, you know, my um, my fellow black and brown people. So, you know, I think Seattle is a place where there is a lot of great diversity, but also um, from historical reasons, like um, lining also a lot of, I guess I will use the word segregation. It is a community where, um, right, yes, I still see that there There are certain pockets where communities of color live um, versus other areas that are majority white. And then it is in the pockets where mostly people of color live that we see the most um, environmental hazards.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that and also acknowledging at least uh, some of the members or, or the peoples that lived there, because I think it's so important to start the conversations and make space for for the conversations to start there. I also uh, w- when I attended a conference in Seattle, I came to find out just uh, in, as it relates to pollution, the stark differences between the north side and the south side, mm-hmm. and who lives in the south side because I do have a couple of friends there, and who lives in the north side. So it's it's two different worlds, right? It's not just a it's not just a one kind of nice city.
1: <laughs> I think. All of the city is very nice, but um, yeah, it definitely um, not just, you know, one face of the city. All of the different neighborhoods um, have a different character. And then, yes, unfortunately, we see that neighborhoods where communities of color live are the neighborhoods where we see environmental hazards. For example, in the South End, where I mentioned Beacon Hill, Georgetown, it's an area that's under most of the flight paths that go over um, Seattle. So that um, a lot of noise pollution and, you know, it really goes back to in the planning phase, how did it get decided that this is where all of the flight paths are going to go. And it's because it's where they knew that the um, concentration of people of color lived and, you know, you can't have um, all of the fancy houses where white people live being constantly bombarded with um, with noise pollution. But that there's always a reason for um, all of these issues.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I love what you said, because it's the relationships really and, and being able to uh, be in community with 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 folks that are near you that um, can really open up opportunities to to address some of these issues. Right. Because there's not a, a single solution or a silver bullet per se. So I'm excited to dive a little bit into more of the conversation around what is this culture shift? But before that, we're gonna take a quick break.
2: I was born in Mexico City and I moved to the United States when I was uh, 24 years old and uh, I've been living in these communities 26 years. So half of my life uh, I've been living in the States after the move here. Uh, but I have always been uh, engaged in social activism since I was a little one. Uh, my family, uh, I i came uh, from a family of, of uh, social activists. So. Uh, that's what I've been doing all my life, and that's something is all my blood. i I'll say that. and i I grew up listening to my brothers and sisters uh, uh, are uh, having meetings with the schoolmates and uh, and discussing ways to solve the world problem. So I grew up in the in the arena, so I've been a social activist all my life, and uh, since I came to the United States, i um, encountered that. In this country, also, we have poverty and discrimination, Uh, we have uh, um, social injustices. So since I came to this country, I started uh, working or participating as a social activist. And for the last four years, I've been working with Columbia River Keeper as a community organizer.
0: I want to get back to our conversation with Soli Sully thanks again for being on the show. I wanted to dive a little bit into culture and I, I'm not sure if you're aware but in, in this show my goal was really to change the narrative around how it is we talk about climate change and really shifting the microphone and the spotlight to those communities who are at the front line of climate change and I've come to find out that it's a really hard thing to do because it, it also requires nurturing those relationships, building trust with them. And so I wanted to get your take on what this culture shift means, because when you change the narrative, you are changing the stories. And I think stories are very uh, interwined with the culture that what one may be coming from. So I'm curious to know, what is this culture shift about?
1: Thank you for that question. So I started working in community engagement about five years ago after I had my time in the tech industry. And I started working for an agency that focused on working with community members and primarily from communities of color, immigrants, and refugees on working together to make communications campaigns that would um, really resonate with the member, with their fellow community members. And The work also evolved into being able to create resources and programs that would benefit these community members. So for instance, in topics like transportation, how could we make transportation more accessible to communities of color and immigrants and refugees? So it's been a few years since that experience, and I've been continuing that work as a freelancer and after freelancing for a couple of years, I was thinking, you know, I would love to just make this feel more official and also to make it something that I'm working towards, really making into a full-time thing, the thing that I dedicate most of my time and energy into. So I, I decided to, to start with creating um, a brand and a website for this work. And when I first started thinking about how would I call this, I actually feeling a little bit stumped. I didn't know like what name would I give to my services. Yeah. Um, and at the time I had on my LinkedIn headline culture shifter, I'd gotten that from an, a conference I went to called the Future for Us Assembly. So Future for Us is an organization all about making sure that women of color believe in our own leadership and feel empowered to be in leadership positions. And during that conference, the idea that women of color are natural culture shifters came up. And I felt like, wow, that's really a word that I think really encapsulates what I feel like I've always been trying to do. I've always been trying to like encourage organizations to change the way we work so that it's not centering, you know, white dominant culture norms of what professionalism is or of how you um, interact setting but rather to take the cues from the community members that we want to serve you know if the community members want to have our communications via text message let's do that because that's how they will communicate best if they say that no rather than going to this event where we've been going for years and years we should try to reach the community in these other ways we should try reaching them through their churches. We should try reaching them through WhatsApp. We should try all of these things because that's where the community is pointing us that it's going to be more effective. So when I was coming up with my business name, I landed on this term of culture shifter that I've already started using and decided to call it culture shift consulting. And I think that really at the core of what I want to do is really to make it just The norm that when we want to serve the community, we go to the community for their expertise. And we don't just, you know, bring them a proposal of, hey, we're going to implement this program. What do you think of it? But rather that we approach them um, with the idea that this is a blank canvas that we're going to paint together that we're going to start, maybe maybe we start with a goal. Maybe, again, the goal is how do we make transportation more accessible to community members? And then we work together on creating what that's going to look like. And we share power with community members. I think that historically, institutions like government agencies, like companies, have been used to holding all of the power um, they're used to being able to, to say, this is how we're going to implement this work, and that is just how it's going to be, um, and going at it with the attitude that communities should feel fortunate that they're being consulted at all. But I think that that power dynamic really has to change if we're going to create solutions that work for the community.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, we have to like really approach it as we are all holding power in this relationship and we all have the power to shape what the solution is going to look like
0: yeah i love it yeah i think it's a it's what i strive to do too <laughs> in in engaging community members just a, as a curious cu- curiosity I'm, I'm curious to know there's the shifting of culture within an organization and you mm-hmm. know the bureaucracies that may come and processes, so on and so forth. On my side too, I see also a shift in culture. Maybe it's not culture, but a shift in behavior also with communities. And I think that comes with, obviously, waste could be one, you know, understanding how they engage in the waste system, but also maybe creating access to opportunities where they can engage in a lot of these initiatives. Is that something you're also seeing on your side?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that there has been already a culture shift in that um, in that it's now considered necessary to have those opportunities for engagement from the community. I don't think it's any longer, at least here in Seattle and in Washington, considered acceptable um, uh, government agency or another, another type of organization with institutional power to take a top-down approach of just saying like, hey, we came up with this process, and now community, you're just going to deal with it. I think I think that it really is about the optics, like now it, it looks bad to do something like that. So um, I do think that there is this understanding that we have to create opportunities for communities to help shape different programs and resources that are being created for the community. I think now it's really about taking it to the next level, where it's not a one-size-fits-all. Not every community is going to be able to participate in the same types of engagements, for instance, for some communities, you know, it might work to um, create an online event, and that's where community members are able to provide their input. But for other communities who just might not have the same access to resources, we need to think about um, different ways to reach them. And I think that it really starts. At, even at that point of creating a group of trusted advisors who can bring the community's perspective and help us even shape that piece of it of what does it look like to create opportunities for the community to be engaged in these processes?
0: Yeah, I like that. I I I think in order to be able to create access, you gotta commit yourself to a journey. And I think when I was hearing you speak, it kind of reminded me of working on 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 waste with uh, in the city of Portland and. And how um, in order to communicate what goes where to someone who is blind, you need a braille, mm-hmm. right? You need uh, mm-hmm. those dots that they can feel with the tip of their fingers. And mm-hmm. so unless I know someone that's close to me with that experience or with that living in, in, in with those conditions, it um, it's a second thought. It's less, less likely that you're going to develop a system or a process to engage those. So I really appreciate the way uh, you're talking about accessibility to these initiatives. So I'm, I'm curious to know, Sully, a big focus in this show is really uh, not only thinking about the language, but also your role in all this. And when you do community engagement work, obviously you facilitate a lot of conversations and exchange in, of information between different stakeholders, right? The question I wanted to pose to you was, you know, for a youth that may be listening to us, hearing us talk about these issues that are taking place in in seattle uh what would your message be to them as they consider a career or an opportunity in the environmental field sustainability field or how they may even start to think about that
1: so um thank you for asking about youth i think that i'm really seeing that the young younger generation of today is really um Politically involved and involved in activism. So that's really encouraging to see that I really think that we have um, a good pipeline of people who are going to fight for a better world. I think the first thing that I would say to young people, particularly to young people of color, is that we need to be everywhere. So I remember that when I worked at the marketing agency, sometimes I had these moments when I felt like maybe. My work wasn't really um, doing enough or it wasn't, quote unquote, the real work of um, changing the world. Sometimes I felt that that people who were more on the ground organizing or maybe working at nonprofits were doing, were doing things that were more imperative than what I was doing. And I remember that my supervisor at the time told me that um, we people of color need to be everywhere in order for change to happen. So I think that I think that wherever we are, we can we can all work on shifting the culture and working away from um, white dominant culture ways of doing things. So it's important or work is important no matter what industry we're in or what level of leadership we're in, we can all work together to change the culture. And then the second thing I would say is that I've realized that um, environmental work can come in many forms. So aside from doing my work with Culture Shift Consulting, I also volunteer my time at a couple of different organizations. I volunteer at Latino Outdoors, which is an organization dedicated to making outdoor recreation more accessible to the Latinx community, but also just to any communities that experience disparities or barriers in accessing the outdoors. And then also, I am a board member at Sustainable Seattle, which is an organization focused on giving grassroots organizers the resources they need to amplify their work. So, you know, I feel like those two are very different things. So I think that when I first started in the working world, I didn't realize just the broad opportunities that there are to make an impact on the environment. So I think that, you know, regardless of whether someone's really interested in the sciences or in the arts, I think that there's room in all of these different disciplines to make a difference for the environment. I think that the most important thing is just really having that belief and that passion that it, the time is now for us all to work together to make a difference. And then we'll just find it within whatever our skill sets are, whatever our passions are, the way that we're going to make that difference.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I like what you shared. I think it's really important that we uh develop our network and and our communities everywhere. And yeah, really appreciate your your take on there and the, and the message for the youth. Uh one one final question I have for you is when you think of leadership and uh you know, this journey of of developing to be a, a leader that that many of us continue to be on myself included, what would you say is the number one quality that uh, a leader should have?
1: For me, the main quality in a leader should be compassion. I think that um, leaders need to like, just really be motivated by that drive to make things better for, you know, the people who are um, following them, but also for the world in general. And I think that, yeah, just kind of seeing that the reason that we are doing this is for people. I think, you know, I think maybe sometimes when we think about leadership, we think about success for ourselves. And I think that we really need to take on Um, a more collective view of what we can do with our leadership. So, yeah, I would say that it's really being a compassionate leader that thinks about people and thinks about how can we do right by people and how can we um, create the environments where people are going to be able to thrive.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much for sharing that. I I agree with you. So Lee, how can folks get in touch with you or find out about uh, the things you do? Uh, What are the best ways to plug into to who you are and, and the work you do.
1: Yeah, well, I just launched my website, um, Culture Shift Consulting. Um, I couldn't get c- cultureshiftconsulting.com, so it's actually cultureshiftconsult.com, and I'll be um, sharing my ideas through blog posts on that platform. Um, to get in touch with me more directly for a conversation, you can email me at Sully at cultureshiftconsult.com. And then, you know, I think I would also encourage people to follow the work of um, the organizations that I believe in, um, Latino Outdoors and Sustainable Seattle. So you can find Latino Outdoors on Facebook, on Instagram, and on latinooutdoors.org. And Sustainable Seattle, you can also find on Facebook and Instagram, as well as sustainableseattle.org.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Sully, for being on the show. Are there any questions? last messages or words of wisdom you'd like to share with the audience
1: I just like to end it with I think that um 2020 was a difficult year for all of us and 2021 you know it feels like it just you know it didn't start easy for um for us either I feel but I think that I'm really encouraged by I like the greater activism and community engagement that I see like in all directions so I really hope that we can all keep that momentum going and that, yeah, because that's how we work together towards a better world.
0: So thank you so much for being in the show. I hope you come back and uh, be in community with us one more time.
1: Thank you for having me. Alfredo.
0: Well, that was my conversation with Sully. I really appreciated the perspective that she brought to us, to our community, and I welcome her to our community as well. I think I'm excited to also engage other leaders in the Seattle area. So if you have any connections or folks who you think may be a good fit to have on the show as it relates to engaging those communities that are at the front line of climate change, whether they are actually doing the community organizing or in different industries or maybe even some artists, then be sure to let me know. You have tuned in to the Climate Frontline podcast, we're found in all major Podcasting platforms, which includes Apple Podcast as well as Spotify. You can also find us on our social media platforms on Instagram at the Climate Frontline, as well as on Twitter CFL underscore podcast. So thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation, and I will see you next week for another episode of the Climate Frontline. I'll talk to you then. Peace.